Are you ready to receive the word this morning? Let's go to the book of Genesis chapter 13 and verse 1. This is the story of Abraham. The Bible says that God called Abraham out of his father's family. In Genesis chapter 12, God called him out and God gave him a promise and a blessing. And we are in chapter 13, one chapter later. And this is what the Bible says. Then Abraham went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had and lot with him to the south. The Bible says Abraham went up from Egypt. Although if you read chapter 12, you would see that Abraham was supposed to be in Canaan. He was never supposed to be in Egypt. God didn't call him for Egypt. God didn't call him to Egypt. God called him to Canaan. And yet, chapter 13, verse 1, the Bible says, Abraham was in Egypt. How did you go to Egypt, Abraham? Why did you land up in Egypt? Weren't you supposed to be rooted, located, uh, and settled in the land of Canaan. Is that, isn't that the land that God called you to? Isn't that the place where you built your altar? Isn't that the place that God showed you in a vision? Isn't that the place that God spoke to you about? How is it that you are now found in Egypt? And if you read the context, you will understand that there was a great famine all over Canaan. All over the nation of Canaan, all over the land, everywhere that Abraham turned, there was famine. And because of the famine, the Bible says, Abraham decided to relocate himself to Egypt. Because Egypt still had resources that Abraham didn't find in Canaan. And the story goes on to say that as soon as he went to Egypt, there were compromises. As soon as he went to Egypt, he had to now lie about his wife. He had to do things that he, he shouldn't have done in the first place. See, Abraham was not called to live in Egypt. Abraham was called to live in Canaan. He had the grace for governance in Canaan in spite of the fact that there was famine all around. If you read the story of Isaac, the Bible says he, he, he didn't run away during famine. He continued to sow in the land even in spite of famine. He continued to stay rooted in the land even in spite of problems or challenges or struggles. You know, when the Lord gives us a word saying this is a year of governance, the enemy is going to do everything possible to now discourage you during that same year. To tell you you don't have enough. To tell you you, you can't do this. You can't. You can't really achieve this. You can't really possess this. This is the lack in your life. This is the struggle in your life. And it will be a normal temptation for us to say, can I just go to Egypt where there is more provision? Can I just go to Egypt where there is better blessing? Can I just go to Egypt where there is, you know, better opportunities? And that is the temptation that we need to withstand. Because it is better... For us to remain in Canaan, even if 
it doesn't look pleasant to us. It is better that we remain where God has called us. It is better that we remain where God has sent us than for us to move out of the call of God and be more blessed and, and be more prosperous and be, and be more whole. The Bible says Elimelech and his family, they moved out of Bethlehem. Why? Bethlehem had a famine. And when they went to Moab, Moab was the land of plenty. Moab was the land where there was no famine. Yet the Bible says that they experienced death in Moab, whereas people in Bethlehem didn't die. There was famine in Bethlehem, but nobody died in Bethlehem. So every time the enemy does everything possible to try and discourage you, dear child of God, you have to still remember the call of God over your life. You have to remember what God has spoken over this house. You have to remember that those promises apply to you, whether there is famine, whether there is storms, whether, whether there is temptations, whether there is struggles. All those promises of God are still a yes and an amen. They're still applicable for us when we are rooted and located in our Canaan. So, my dear friends, I hope we don't make the mistake of going to Egypt to look for our solutions. Amen? It says, Abraham one day decided, I'm going to come up from Egypt. I'm going to return back from Egypt. Egypt was the land where there were compromises, where there were lies, where there were, you know, deception where he had to almost compromise his marriage. The Bible says, one day Abraham decided, I'm going to return back from Egypt. He and his wife and all that he had and Lot, his nephew, all of them, they returned from Egypt and they went to the south. Verse 2, it says, Abraham was very rich in livestock in silver and in gold. And everybody said an amen. amen. Hallelujah. He, 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 he came up out of Egypt and he didn't come empty. He came rich. He came with prosperity. Even though he, he went because of a famine, he didn't decline. Even in the land of Egypt, he kept growing. He kept becoming more blessed. He kept becoming more stronger. And that's the same thing about the people of Israel. When they came up out of Egypt, they, uh, they were more blessed when they came back than when they came, went into Egypt. So it doesn't matter what struggle you're going through. When you come out of that struggle, you will still be more wiser. You will still be more stronger. You will be more anointed. You, you will be more wealthy. There can be nothing that can come across a child of God that can really steal from him permanently. If you are somebody that has kept your eyes, your heart fixed on the Lord, no matter where you go, when you come out of there, you are going to continue in your riches. You're going to continue to go from strength to strength. You're going to continue to increase in your understanding and in your wisdom. You are not going to become bad to worse. You're going to go from strength to strength in Jesus' name. Verse 3, it says, And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place 
where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. He, he, he remembered the place where he had pitched his tent. He remembered the place where he had been rooted. He remembered the place where he had built his altars. And he said, I'm going to go back to the place where I was at the beginning. I'm going to go back to my initial days. I'm going to go back to my roots. I'm going to go back to those days, the, the way that I loved Jesus back in the day. I'm going to go back to that. See, I, when I say you need to go back to something, I'm not saying you need to go back to your failures and brokenness of your yesterday. But there is a place where God touched you. There is a place where you met God. There is a place where you dis decided to give certain things to the Lord. You, you, you built an altar to the Lord in your yesterday. The Lord says, will you return back to that place? Will you return back to your beginning? Everybody say, beginning. It says in verse 4, to the place of the altar. What place? What, how, how do you define the beginning? Not the place where you were still weak, where you lacked understanding, where you were still being tempted, where you were still struggling. The Bible says the beginning to the place of the altar where he had made there at first. And there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. That is your beginning. The beginning is the place where you've built your altar to the Lord, where you have sacrificed to the Lord, where you have promised your vows to the Lord, where you have decided this is, this is how I'm going to love Jesus. And that's why Jesus, he was looking at a church that has been very mature in serving the Lord, the church at Ephesus. And Jesus says, will you remember from where you have fallen and return back to your you remember this verse? Revelation chapter 2. Jesus says, you return back to your, to your first love. To your first love. Will you come back to that place of tenderness one more time? You know, when we are in church for a long time, we can get very used to worship. We can get very used to listening to the word. We can get very used. We, we can, without knowing, we can become very religious. We may not believe that we are being religious, but we may act religious over a period of time. And the Bible says, Abraham decided, the reason I went to Egypt was because I lost my focus on my first love. But if I could just uproot myself out of every compromise and keep returning back to the place where I first encountered the Lord, how I first fell in love with Jesus, how I used to pray back in the day. How I used to give to the Lord back in the day. How I used to serve Him back in the day. If I can keep coming back to that place of my first love. That is the key to avoid every compromise in my life. That is the key to avoid every Egypt in my life. That, that is the single key to remain on fire. Every single day for the rest of my life, I can stay on fire if I can keep going back to my first love, to the place where I first got an encounter from the Lord. The first 
the first time when God spoke to me? What is the first thing that God, God did in my life? How, how did I respond? How grateful was I when God ministered to me? Church, if we can just become a master at, at, at coming back to our beginnings every single time we are in church, we will be a very humble church. We will be a very, very grateful church. We will never take anything for granted. We, we, we will never feel entitled that, that the pastor has to behave a certain way and the, the church seating has to be in a certain way. We will never feel entitled because we are not coming for any of these things. We are coming because of Jesus. We are coming because we know our roots. We know where we began from. We know where we started. And we are coming because of our commitment to where we began. And everybody said an amen. amen. Verse 5, the Bible says, Lot also, who went with Abraham, had flocks, herds, and tents. It really matters who you go with. It matters who you travel with. It's, it's not just about going back to your first love. It's about who do you go with? Who do you travel with? Who do you follow? Because that will determine how successful you're going to be. You, you, you can be successful, you know, by pursuing your own ambitions and goals to a certain manner. But the true success that God wants you to experience, you will experience when you're very clear on who you're following. You know, I, I like the same verse from the NLT Bible. In the NLT translation, it says, Lot, who was traveling with Abraham, had also become, is the verse there? Give me the next, next slide from the NLT. It says, can you read it with me? It says, Lot, who was traveling with Abraham, had also become very wealthy with flocks of sheep and goats, herds of cattle and, and, and many tents. Not one tent, not one house, but many tents, many houses. It, it, it's very powerful when you follow an Abraham who has encountered the God of riches. It's, it's very powerful when you walk with a man of God who understands the ways of God, who understands the character of God. And you know that you, you can't follow somebody like that and you would remain in, in poverty, you would remain in struggle, or you would remain in compromise, or that you would remain in a place of, of temptation all through your life. It's not possible. When you're following a man of God who has overcome, you're going to overcome yourself. You, you are going to be victorious yourself. So it, it's, it's very important, my dear friends, for you to understand who you're following and, and who you are journeying after. Who are you imitating? Because if you don't imitate anybody 
or if you are unintentional about who you are following and you are just, you know, doing what everybody else does, then your destiny is not going to be sure. What you receive along the way, what, what happens in your life along the way is going to be on your own hand. But if you are if you're going to intentionally follow an Abraham, the Bible says when Lot was in trouble, Abraham, he left everything and he took his entire working men who were the, the army that he had prepared in his house. You know, Abraham was a governor. Abraham was a king. He, he had his own army. The Bible says he took his entire army to go fight for Lot and for his property and for his family. That is, that is the blessing of submission. That is the blessing of remaining under recovering. That is the blessing of saying, you know what, I, I, don't, want to, I don't want to do life on my own. I don't want to uh, just do Christianity. I want to be under submission. I want to be under protection. So who you travel with is very, very important. I know that some of you already know this, but I'm just reminding you that there is a blessing that comes because of who you are traveling with. It says that Lot, because he was traveling with Abraham, he also became very wealthy. So may every wealth that our father inherits, may it also be yours. May every blessing, every, every dimension that he walks into, may it be yours in Jesus' name. Every time our father desires something and, and he puts his hand into something, may that become an inheritance to you too. Because you travel with him, because you submit to him, because, because you sow into the anointing that he carries. May that become your inheritance. May that become your wealth. May that become the number of your houses. Some of us, we need a second house in Ottawa. <laughs> Some of us, we need a third house in the U.S. and a, and a fourth house in India. We, we need multiple houses. Uh, this, is, this is so that we can serve the Lord better. We, we, we need more houses. And it's possible when you follow a man of God that believes, talks, and follows a God of glory, a God of riches, a God in whom there is no lack. A God in whom there is, there is nothing, that, that you, you, there is no vacuum in him. There is no emptiness in him. There, it, it's, he's, he's full of glory. And anybody that encounters him will take that portion of glory upon yourself. And somebody said an amen. It's, it's not possible. It is not possible that you, you, you can continue to live a life of compromise that you can continue to say, it is okay if this thing doesn't work out. It is okay if I am not blessed here. My question, this is the question I keep asking myself when I want to compromise or when I want to, uh, you know, just adjust. The question I ask is, what would my father do if he was in this place? How would he decide this exact same thing? Is he going to be... Uh, is he going to be compromising or is he going to walk out in faith? Is he going to be giving in to this or is he going to rise above this? And if I travel with him, I have the grace 
to do what he does. The Bible says, however, in the case of Lot, because Lot and Abraham, they became so wealthy, they became so numerous, both Abraham was also growing and Lot was also growing at the same time. The Bible says, now the land that they were living in, the land, it, it doesn't say Abraham was not able to. It says the land was not able to support them. That they might dwell together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. So there was a limitation with the land that they were living in. See, Abraham knew how to govern his house well. He knew how to manage his household. In fact, if you read to the end of this chapter, God would tell him, look towards the north, to the south, to the east and the west. I'm going to give you all this land to you and to your descendants. And the promise God gave him about his descendants is that they will be as numerous as the dust or, or the, the sand of the earth. If, if that is true, if, if this land was big enough to, to take care of an innumerable descendants of Abraham, do you think that God couldn't find a way or Abraham wouldn't have found a way for Lot and Abraham to coexist? Talk to me. What do you think? Do you think it was possible that they could find a solution? That they could find an answer? It says in the next verse, because the land couldn't support both of them, verse 7, it says, there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the parasites, they, 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 they were living in the land and they are watching Abraham's herdsmen fighting Lot's herdsmen. There is strife. Where is the strife? Not in the world, but in the, in, in, in the house of God. Among the people of God. Among those that have a promise from God. Among those that understand the ways of God. Those that believe in the call of God over their life. There is strife. And it says the Canaanites and the Perizzites, they were still in the land and they are watching the, the herdsmen, Abraham's herdsmen and, and Lord's herdsmen fight each other. They, they, are, they are watching them. They are, they are seeing what is happening. They are seeing their, their, their words being exchanged. There is, a, there is a world that is constantly witnessing what is happening in the house of God. And it is necessary that we give a, we, we show ourselves to be a, a good example, a good representation of the grace that we are covered by. If, when, when we behave in a certain way, it doesn't look just bad on us. It looks bad on the covering that we are under. So it's very necessary that we, we keep asking ourselves, how is the world viewing my spiritual covering, my church? My spiritual father. How is the world viewing me because of my actions? How am I portraying this grace to the world outside? What am I doing to, you know, make this grace look so poor? The Bible says there was great strife. 
this morning as I was preparing the word, the Lord was saying, I'm going to give you grace so that you can have governance over every strife. Governance over every division. Governance over every misunderstanding. There can't be any more strife in the house of God. There can't be any more disagreements that we don't have authority over. I'm not saying there will not be disagreements. I'm just saying we will have authority over it. We will have grace to govern over it. We will have understanding to solve it. We, we will know how to fix this struggle. See, the struggle was real. The land really couldn't support them. But the solution was also in the hands of this man of God. And I pray and I believe that all of you will rise up as solution carriers. As solution givers. Because this is a year of governance. This is, this is not a year where we, we run away when we see a famine. This is not a year when we say, oh, this is not working for me. I don't want to be here. Let me look for a second option. This is a year when we say, okay, I see the struggle. I see the pain. I see the problem. I see the issue. But I'm going to stay here and fix it. Because of the grace of God upon my life, I'm going to find an answer. I'm going to find a key. I'm going to find a solution for this. I'm going to work the grace that is upon my life till, till, Till I have governance over every strife in my house. Over every strife in my finances. Over every strife in my relationships. Every strife in my ministry. I'll stay put till I have governance. The Bible talks about Moses. How his father-in-law came to visit him. This is in Exodus chapter 18 and verse 17. Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing that you do is not good. Because both you and these people who are with you, you will surely wear yourselves out. For this thing is too much for you. You're not able to perform it for yourself. What was happening was, Moses was sitting in the, from early in the morning to late in the night, hearing people's problems and helping them and trying to, you know, speak God's heart over their lives. And, and Moses' father-in-law, he came and he assessed what was going on. And he said, hey, this people is too much for you. You have a real problem here. You're not able, if you're going to continue doing what you're doing, you're not going to be able to manage, to govern over this huge congregation that God has given you. So it's necessary that you bring in certain changes. Because if you don't bring in these changes now, sooner or later you will wear yourself out. So the father-in-law, Moses' father-in-law, he suggested a solution. And, you know, the, the next verse, verse 24, Exodus 18, verse 24, it says, So Moses, he did the voice of his father-in-law. It doesn't say Moses, he did the voice of Jethro. It says Moses, he did the voice of his Father, no, no wonder it says Moses is a very humble man. He listened to the advice that his father-in-law gave. And it says, and he did all that he had said. And this is what Moses did. He chose, verse 25, he chose able men out of all Israel and he made them heads over the people. Rulers of thousands 
rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. What is he doing? He is putting systems in place, systems to govern, systems to manage, systems to solve problems so that there will be no more strife. Because every day people are coming to Moses saying, you know, this person, he stole my flock. This person, he took what belonged to me. This person, he he's claiming this land is his. Every day Moses is sitting and trying to solve. And, and Jethro said, why don't you put a system of governance in place? And, and as soon as Moses implemented this issue, things started falling into place. And it became easy for now Moses to be able to govern such a huge people that God was asking him, causing him to lead. So the solution is not to run away from the people that you're supposed to lead or to run away from the business that is, you know, giving you some struggles or to run away from the marriage where there is problems. The solution is to find a strategy. How can I govern this situation well? Whose help can I receive? Do I have a voice, a father figure in my life, a father in my life who can, who can speak the heart of God and give me certain instructions on what I need to follow to be able to govern my situation well? Do I have somebody that I can go and seek out counsel and advice from? And Moses had that. And as soon as Moses applied what he was told, things started working out for him. Things started solving for him. The same issue happened in the New Testament church. It says in Acts chapter 6 and verse 1, Now in those days, when the number of the disciples were multiplying, everybody say multiplying. See, the problem is not there till you don't multiply. The enemy will not come to fight you if you're poor, if you're broke, if you, if you have nothing, if you're... You're still living in your cocoon. The enemy is not going to fight you. But the moment there is multiplication in your life, the moment there is growth in your life, the moment you actually begin to walk and enjoy your promises, that is when all problems arise. See, if Abraham and Lot, they were poor people, do you think there would have been any strife among them? No. So the... The fact that there is strife is also an evidence of God's hand of blessing and God's hand of provision, God's hand of, of multiplication upon our lives. The Bible says this is a church which is the, in the peak of its glory. Okay, This is a church which is filled with the Holy Spirit, just encountered, experienced the day of Pentecost. The 12 apostles are, are leading this church. There's Hardly anything that could go wrong in this church. But it says, there arose a complaint. In a church that was multiplying, in a church that was growing, there was a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. Because their widows, it says their widows were being neglected. Their widows were not catered to during the daily distribution. So, so there was a lack, there was a genuine problem even in the church, in, 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 the, in the people of God. There were, there, were, there were issues that they needed solutions and answers for. And the Bible says the 12, they summoned 
the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation. Seven men that are full of the Holy Spirit, who are full of wisdom, so that we may appoint them over this business. What are they doing? They are appointing governors in the church. Just like Moses appointed governors, Moses put systems in place in the, the political realm over the nation of Israel. The apostles, they are doing the same thing inside the church. He is putting some people responsible. He's setting up a structure and a system of governance inside the church. Why? So that strife can be avoided. So that strife can be overcome. So that we will be able to govern well over every disagreement. Every person that is feeling neglected. Every person that is being, feeling, feeling left out. There will be certain people put in places of responsibility to take care of them. To cater to them. And that's exactly what, what we are supposed to do when something goes wrong in our life. When, when there is growth and multiplication and, and the enemy is constantly coming to hurt us, to divide us, to separate us, to break us. Don't just say, probably this is not for me. Instead say, how can I set up a system? How can I set up a solution for this? How can I put certain things that I have been learning and put it into practice? How can I apply it into my life? If you go back to the story of Genesis chapter 13, Abraham said to Lord, See, this is, this is not cool. We, please let there be no more strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen. For we are, for we are brethren, we are one family. How can we allow strife to be inside our house? How can we allow this misunderstanding to continue? So please let there be no more strife. Verse 9, he said, it's not the whole land before you. Please separate from me. Because if you take the left, then I will go to the right. And if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. Abraham is saying, you know what? It's uh, not possible that we can continue together. Let's just separate. Why don't you do what you want to do and I will go do what I want to do. If you go to the left, I will go to the right. If you go to the right, I will go to the left. See, when, when your man of God says, you know, it's okay. You can do your thing. I release you. Go be blessed. I don't think that you should take that as a blessing. That, that, that doesn't work like that. See, a, a prophet has taught us that a mentor has a way of pushing away his mentee. A mentor will never you know, put himself up saying, you should always stay with me, always be around me. A mentor will always try to leave the mentee, give him his own will to make his own choices, his own decisions. The mentor will always push him away. This is exactly what Naomi did when, when she said, you know what, guys, I, I, can't, I can't give you a husband. Why don't you go back to Moab? Why don't you go back to your parents' houses? Why don't you go back and find a person to get married to and, and you'll be fine, you'll be settled. You, 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 I, I can't give you 
what you're looking for. Go to your father's house. And one of them took the bait, the other didn't. Ruth, the Bible says, she, she said, no, 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 I'm, I'm not going to the left if you go to the right. If you go to the right, I go to the right. If you go to the left, then I also follow you to the left. I don't want a blessing where I don't have a covering. I don't want a provision where I don't have the blessing of my man of God over my life. It is better that I, I stay in the strife and figure out a way to solve the strife than for me to go to a place where there is, you know, ease and no complaints and no problems and no challenges. I, I don't want a blessing without the covering of God, without the protection of God over my life. Lot took the bait too. The Bible says in verse 10, so Lot, he lifted his eyes and he saw all the plain of Jordan. And this, this Jordan, it, it says it was well watered everywhere. Before the Lord had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, he was so well watered that it looked like the Garden of Eden. It looked like the Garden of the Lord. That's what it says. And it looked like the land of Egypt. You, you should understand, he has just come out of Egypt. He's, he's just experienced the riches of Egypt. Now he is comparing the land in front of him and saying, where can I find a land like that? Where can I find something so beautiful like the land of Egypt? And he looks at the land of Jordan. It says he saw the plain of Jordan. It was so well watered and he said, I'm going to choose this place. I'm going to live here. So it says in verse 11, then Lot chose for himself. Everybody say chose for himself. Lot made his own decision. Lot decided how he is going to be blessed. Lot prophesied over himself. Lot began to bless himself. May, may you never reach a place where you have to choose for yourself. May you always have a voice over your life who will speak certain things over you, who will, who will choose certain things, who will choose life over you, who will, who will speak God's heart for yourself, for your, for, your, for your home, for your family. It says, Lord, he chose for himself the plain of Jordan. And he journeyed east. And because he made this choice for himself, it says he had now been separated from Abram. You know, Naomi was the one who chose Boaz for Ruth. Ruth didn't choose Boaz for herself. Who chose? Naomi saw, wait a minute, this clicks, this works. I know what you need to do. I'll choose the man for you. I'll tell you how to do this. I'll tell you where you need to go. I'll tell you what time you need to go. I'll tell you what you need to wear. What cologne you need to put on yourself. How ready you should be. I'll even tell you what you should speak when you are in front of this man. Who made the choice? Not Ruth. Naomi chose this for her. I pray that you will stay close to the voice of God over your life. I pray that you will never be separated. That you will never choose 
you will never choose to be in a place of blessing without the voice of God over your life. That you will never choose certain provisions where the covering of God that God has given you can't follow till there. May nothing be able to separate you from your spiritual covering, from your spiritual protection. Nothing. Because that'll, that, that's going to be a, a, a temptation of the enemy this year. That the enemy is going to continue to bring you certain gardens that look like Eden. They, they, that's not Eden. It, it, it's actually Sodom and Gomorrah. But when Lot looked at it from his perspective, that looked like the garden of the Lord. That looked like the will of the Lord. That looked like the land of Egypt. And Lord said, ah, let me choose this for myself. Let me take this. Let me receive this. Let me, you know, just go and do this myself. May you not have to bless yourself this year. May you walk in the blessing that has been spoken over your life. Because, because if you are going to allow, if you're going to fall into the temptation of the enemy to, to separate you from your calling, from, from this house, if you're going to give in to the lies of the enemy that says, this is more safer, this is more convenient, this is more protected, it's just going to be a matter of time before you are now going to take offense. You're now going to do crazy things. Let, let, me, let me take you to the book of Matthew chapter 24. This is the portion that our father has been teaching us. It says, then chapter 24 and verse 9. Can you all read it with me? If you have the strength to read it, read it with me. Okay? Are you okay? It says, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and, and kill you. And you will be hated by, by all nations for my sake. You, you have to believe this. This is going to start this year. This is going to happen this year. When we read this verse, we always think, oh, this is not about me. This is talking about some country there in the Middle East. It doesn't say one nation. It says you'll be hated by all nations for my sake. And Jesus is not talking to unbelievers or to Jews. He's talking to his disciples. You know, I, I know that many of us don't believe that we will go through tribulation. I want to believe that too. <laughs> I want to believe that we will not go through tribulation. You know, I, I was talking to Pastor Steve yesterday and we were just discussing this. We were like, you know, if, if you don't go through tribulation, if you're prepared to go through tribulation and you don't go through tribulation, praise God. You don't lose anything. But if you're not prepared to go through tribulation and then tribulation comes, then you have everything to lose. You don't want to be caught off guard when this happens. And that's why it says, you, he's Jesus looking at his disciples. When they came and asked him, when will you return? How will we know that your time for returning has drawn near? Jesus said, you will be given into tribulation. And they are going to start to kill you. And 
you will be hated by all nations for my sake. Do you know what will happen as a result of it? Let's read the next verse. Verse 10. It says, and then many will be offended. And they will betray one another. And they will hate one another. And it's not talking about the people of the world. It's talking about strife in the house of God. It's talking about strife among Abrahams and Lots who are supposed to stay together, serve together, worship together, love Jesus together. And the enemy is going to try and bring in offense and hurt and strife inside the same house of God where they are supposed to live in the bond of peace and they are supposed to live in unity and they are supposed to serve God together. The enemy is going to try and bring the same misunderstanding into marriages, into relationships between siblings, into homes, into families where you're, you, you know you have a call of God over your life to serve God together. And the enemy is going to try and bring offense. It says, and as a result of it, we will want to betray one another. We will want to write nasty things on Facebook. We will want to take our frustration out through text messages, through conversations, by just letting the other person know how much, how much, how much that person has, you know, is not something that you like. And the Bible says people will begin to hate one another. Jesus said it. I'm not saying it, Jesus said it. Jesus said, you don't have to murder somebody. You just have to hate somebody. And you just have to call that person a certain name. And that's equivalent to becoming a murderer. Jesus said it, Matthew chapter 5. If you don't know, it's in your Bible. It, you know, Jesus in fact said, if you call somebody, you fool. He didn't even say, you have to call them some very bad words. You just have to call somebody, you fool. Because as soon as you speak that out of your mouth, and there is hate that is now causing that word to come out of your mouth. Do you know what you just did? You have committed a murder. You've, you've done the same thing that Cain did. He killed his brother because he was jealous. He killed his brother because his worship didn't get the same spotlight that his brother's worship got. He killed his brother because, you know, there was, there was more claps for this guy's singing than the other's. How is, it, how is it that we are allowing the strife that the enemy has planned to enter into the house of God? How is it that we are not able to govern over, the, over these plans and the schemes of the enemy? Because this is, this is a trap for the end days. It says when tribulation comes, if, if we have not learned how to govern our, our relationships well, then... It's just going to be so easy for the enemy to cause offense, betrayal, and hate. Let me skip to verse 12. It says, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. I'm not talking about this church though. This is a church that is coming back to its first love. We are a people of God that is going to love each other better. In the last days, we will become more ferocious in our love for Jesus. 
and we'll become more ferocious in our love for one another because this is not a house where lawlessness abounds this is a house where the grace of god abounds and because of this grace we our love will not grow cold the love of our church will not grow cold we will only become more ferocious in loving each other serving each other laying our lives down for each other john 316 says god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son christians come on you can you know this god loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that those who believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting eternal abundant life the same john he wrote 1 john chapter 316 he said this is how you know that you you that what love really is that because god has loved you and he gave jesus up for you now you need to lay down your life for your brothers and sisters here we can't even give up our parking spot pastor we are waiting to lay down our lives how how much are you willing to be hurt in your pursuit of not loving strive to enter into the house of god how much are you willing to sacrifice and lay down yourself so that strife doesn't enter into your house how much are you willing to love is your love really sacrificial or like many has your love also grown cold I pray that we will not fall into the same trap that Lot fell into and separate from his Abraham and separate from his Canaan and separate from his promises because strife has a way of taking you away from your Canaan from your from your house of God from your Bethlehem from the place where you're supposed to be blessed the most from the voice where you're supposed to be blessed the most You know the reason why the enemy is fighting your marriage is is just so that you don't you you stop coming to church on Sundays. You stop serving the Lord together. The reason the enemy is fighting your your mind so much with with all those attacks that you're experiencing at work is so that you you will be discouraged. You will not want to come to church on Sunday. The enemy will keep saying, "Hey, you you you've received this promise. Why is it not working out in your life? Why are you still going back to hear the same sermon?" the enemy will keep telling you that and that's when you say no it, it doesn't matter i'm still going to go back because i i know this is the year of governance for me and i'll not allow any of this to cause my love to grow cold the bible says in genesis chapter 13 verse 12 so abram he dwelt in the land of canaan but lot where did he live he dwelt in the cities abram dwelt in the land where there were no cities but lot he lived in the cities so on the surface when you look at them it looks like it worked out better for lot than for abram come on talk to me when you read this verse doesn't it look like man lot is getting to live in a very multicultural multiethnic you know a very happening city 
where is Abraham living? He is living in a tent. He is living in the wilderness. He is living in a place where there is no, no metros, no, no transport. There is nothing really happening where he is living. So it doesn't look like Abraham is enjoying the blessing of God. It looks like Lot is the one who is experiencing this, this uh, city life. You know, all the provisions. It's, it's a fast life and night life and all the... His world seems to be happening. And Abraham looks like it's, it's a boring life. But on the, the, the truth being told, the very next chapter, everything that Lot had held so dear to himself, everything that Lot had put his trust in, he lost it. You know why? See, he was living in a city, but the builders of this city, they were very wicked. It says, he dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. Verse 13, but the men of Sodom, they were exceedingly wicked and they were sinful against the Lord. So because of the sin, because of their wickedness, everything that they built, it was stained by that sin. It was the, the foundation of, of this city were wickedness. And now, here is Lot. He is going and embracing a blessing that Sodom is giving him. And he is walking away from the blessing that Abraham was bringing into his life. You know, the next chapter, if you read the next chapter, Abraham, after the war for Lot and his family, Abraham comes down to a place. It says, he came down to the king's valley. You know, this is in Genesis chapter 14. He came to a place called the king's valley. And it says, the king of Sodom came out to meet Abraham. But at the same time, the king of Salem came to meet Abraham. The king of Sodom when he came to meet Abraham, he gave him, he was willing to give him all the wealth. He's like, everything, all this wealth that you see in front of you, everything that you got in this war, it belongs to you, Abraham. You keep it. You enjoy this. You, you know, this is your share. You know, you walk with me. You're going to be very rich, Abraham. You walk with me. You, you did this for me, Abraham. I'm, I'm going to make sure that I will reward you for it. But Abraham said, no, no, I, I, I don't want to take even a, a shoelace from you. I don't even want to take a thread out of everything that you're giving me. But there was another king that Abraham met. He is the king of Salem. The Bible calls him the Melchizedek. You know, Melchizedek, when Abraham met Melchizedek, instead of getting blessings of, of riches and all of that, he gave his one-tenth to Abraham. He gave his one-tenth to Melchizedek. Instead of receiving financial blessings, what did he do? He gave, he sowed into this king. He chose a king of the king of Salem who he had to give money to instead of choosing the king of Sodom who would give money to him. Do you, do you see the difference? And because of that choice, the Bible says Melchizedek, he lifted his hands and he blessed Abraham. And we, when he blessed Abraham, he said, you're blessed by the possessor of heaven and the earth. You're blessed. And, and when Abraham went back to king of Sodom, he said, you know what? I have lifted my hand before 
the God who is the God of the heavens and the earth. I cannot lift my hand before you anymore. I cannot beg before you. I cannot receive from you anymore. And I feel like for the sake of blessings, certain times we, we end up compromising our allegiance, our loyalty, our, our you know, commitment. And I pray that the church will avoid that trap to align itself to the kings of Sodom, to the cities of Sodom, to the builders of these cities. Because it's very easy for us to look at the promise of God for this year, which is that you will be a city on a hill, and then look at the city of Sodom and think this is that. Because that's a mistake that Lot made. But I pray that you will stay rooted to your voice. You will stay rooted in this house to know where and how your provision and your blessing comes. You will be people of discernment. You will know this, this, is, this is not for me. This is not how God blesses. This is not where God blesses me. I have a Melchizedek over my life. I don't care how much, how much or what all I have to bring and lay it at his feet. My blessing comes from what my Melchizedek speaks over me. That is my source of blessing. It is not the current situation. It is not where I live in. Because Lot, he lived in a city, but he couldn't defend himself when the enemy came. But Abraham, even though he was living in the open land, when the enemy came, not only did he fight against five kings, can you imagine five kings teaming up against the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah? Abraham overcame five kings single-handedly with just his, you know, volunteers in his house. He went and overcame such a huge army. Isn't that amazing? I know for a fact that you understand you, you are rooted in a house like that. You are one of those 318 people that Abraham had. You are somebody that is being trained for a day of war. That you will not just run away like Lot did to get a better opportunity or a better podium or a better job. No, you, you will stay rooted because you know you're being, your hands are being trained for war. You're a warrior in this church. You're, you're a general of God. And, and if you stay faithful and rooted here, there is going to come a time when Abraham steps into the next place and you will step in along with him. And then Abraham opens up a new dimension for you and you will inherit that new dimension. Because all of what God has promised to Abraham also now belongs to you. Let me just read this verse from Hebrews chapter 11 verse 8. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. But he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of the heirs with him of the same promise. This is why he lived in tents. The next verse it says, For he waited for the city which has foundations. Lot did not wait for the city which has foundations. Abraham, it says, he waited for the city which has foundations, and whose builder and maker 
is God. You are a city, but you are a city who has foundations. You are a city, you've been taught the word of God week after week, and this word now becomes your foundation. So that when storms come, you don't shake. When storms come, you're, you're not swept here and there. When storms come, you will stand on the word. You will not be shaken. You are a city that has foundations. The next verse, it says, Hebrews eleven thirty nine. All these, talking about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, all of these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, they still did not receive the promise. So everything that they received was not promise. It says, verse 40, God having provided something better for us. Look at your neighbor and say, there is something better for you. Something better than Abraham enjoyed. <laughs> something better than what Isaac received. God has provided that for us. If you are in Emmanuel Church today, if you are part of the Revived Nations Global Church, you and I, we have a better inheritance. We have a better Melchizedek. We have a better voice over our lives. It says, for, for God had provided something better for us so that they should not be made perfect apart from us. We, you know, we, we are the fulfillment of everything that they desired for. What we are experiencing, what we are enjoying, this is the real city that Abraham was looking forward to. I'm sure that Abraham would have loved to be part of this church. <laughs> because this, this is where God has assigned for us. The scripture says, this is better than that. It says, after Lot had left, Genesis chapter 13 and verse 14, God began to bless Abraham. And I'm, I'm just going to finish by speaking these same blessings over you. Because, because if you're going to stay rooted, if you're going to stay faithful, this same blessing now applies for you in this year of governance. God spoke to Abraham. God said, lift your eyes now. Don't keep looking down. Now lift your eyes. Don't keep looking at the failures. Don't keep looking at the Lord who has left you. Don't keep looking at your lack, but lift your eyes. And look from the place where you are. Are you in a place? Do you have a land? Do you have a house? So from there, look from the place that you are. Every week when you come here, your eyes are being opened to look. You will be people of vision. You will be able to see. You will know where you are headed. You will know what you're about to inherit. So God is speaking to you today. Do you have a place from right from where you are right now? Open your eyes. Lift up your eyes and look. Look to the north. Look to the south. Look to the east. And look to the west. You and all the land, for all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. If you're able to see it, you will inherit it. See, so when you come to church, you, you're, you're not just coming to, you know, take pointers. You're coming to be able to have your eyes open to see what your man of God is seeing. 
And if you can see what your man of God is seeing, then what you saw will become yours. Because God told Abraham, look and whatever you see, whatever you see, whatever you're able to perceive, I'm giving it to you. And I'm giving it to your descendants. And I'm giving it to your descendants' descendants. Where should Steen and I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth. Somebody say, I receive this. I'm, I'm speaking this over you. I'm, I, I'll, God is saying, I will make your properties as the dust of the earth. I'll, I'll make your ministry as the dust of the earth. There it cannot be numbered. I will make your children as wealthy as the dust of the earth. I'll, I'll make everything that you put your hands into as numerous as the dust of the earth. It says, that's how your, descend, your descendants shall not be numbered. What you produce from your life, it shall not be limited. The outcome of your life, there will be no boundaries around it. There shall be no limitations around anything that you desire to do with your life, with your work, with your home. There will be no boundaries or limitation. Look at your neighbor and say, you will never be numbered. Ah, you will be limitless in Jesus' name. Verse 17, it says, now arise. <laughs> arise. It says, arise and walk in the land. Walk through the length and the breadth of this land. Because if you're able to see, then I will give it to you. But second, are you able to arise and walk? Because if you're willing to walk, every place that you walk, I am going to give it to you. So, I'm going to finish with this. The Lord is inviting us as a church to arise and to go out. Arise and walk. Arise and step out in faith. Arise and, and make certain choices. Make certain decisions. For some of you, it may be the transition from Egypt back to Canaan. For some of you, it may be your transition from being in Canaan back to your beginning, to your place of first love. For some of you, it may be your transition back from Sodom to Salem. I don't know what transition it is for you, but the Lord is saying, arise and walk. Make that transition. Make that shift. May there be a repositioning in your life. Verse 18, the Bible says, Abraham, after this encounter, he moved his house. He didn't stay where he was anymore. It says, he, he moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre. Because this is where, if you read later, this is where God encountered him. This is where he had a baby. This is, this is where he, he, was, he was being moved to. This whole encounter that he had with God where he God told him arise and walk he moved to a place where there, were, there was a certain limitation in his life that he's been following God but he's never had a child. He's been following God but he's not seen that promise that God gave him manifest but as soon as he made this move things that were shut for the last hundred years opened up overnight are you ready to receive this blessing from the Lord? Let's pray. If you could just stand with me wherever you are and just, just ask the Lord, what is the repositioning that you desire in my life? 
What are those areas of strife that I have tolerated and I loved in my life? What are those struggles that I have said it's okay to live with this struggle? What are those areas where I need to change, I need to improve, I need to grow, where I need to redirect myself? What are those areas where, where I have allowed offense to get into my heart, betrayal to get into my heart? The Lord is inviting you to reposition yourself today. Reposition yourself. Can you talk to the Lord? Can you tell him, Lord, I'm, I'm ready for this? I, I see the vision of a heart that is, that is covered with thorns. And the Lord is taking out one thorn at a time. Everything that is causing your heart to bleed... The root of some of our strife is a trauma that, that, that we have been inflicted with from our past. And the Lord is healing your heart, removing the thorns so that the, the root of that strife will be eliminated. The root cause of the strife will be taken care of so that you will no longer be offended when your man of God tells you something to bless you, to help you. You will no longer be offended in your marriage. You will no longer be offended in the decisions that you need to be making. So Father, I, I speak a grace of healing upon each and every heart. I speak every heart that is bleeding to be made whole today in the name of Jesus. Every heart that is given into strife, I speak a wholeness to come upon those hearts. They will now give us the grace to now look at our strife and say, we will not be a victim of this strife. We will not be a victim of somebody's words. We will not be a victim of somebody's actions. No, no, we will arise and we will walk. We will arise and we will fly. We will arise and we will have governance over the emotions in our heart. Over the words that we want to speak, we will have governance. We will have governance. We will not allow the enemy to have the last say. The church will have the last say. The people of God, they will decide how they have to live their life. Because we don't have to choose for ourselves. We don't have to choose our own blessings. We have a Melchizedek who speaks the heart of God over our lives. And, and this morning, Lord, we... We acknowledge that Melchizedek. This morning, Lord, we submit to our Melchizedek. This morning, Lord, we, we refuse to align ourselves to any kings of Sodom that we are being tempted by. And we reposition and we realign ourselves to our Melchizedek. Where we are blessed. Where we are provided for. Where we are covered. Where we will not give in to deception during this year of governance. We thank you, Lord, for your giving us grace to not be a victim of the tribulation that comes our way. Nobody in this house will be a victim. We will not lose a single person. No, nobody, not, not even any of our family that is watching us online. We will have nobody that is left behind. Nobody that is taken captive because you are in the wrong place. Lord, I speak this over every one of our family members that are watching us from wherever. We speak a protection over their lives, Lord. We speak a grace for them to be rooted in their Canaan. 
to be rooted in their promises to be rooted rooted under their melkisadek we bless your name jesus we honor your presence in this place and in jesus mighty name we pray and everybody said an amen